be in God's Word. Matthew 25. We're going to read a lengthy passage here uh, by way of uh, uh, by way of introduction here, and we'll read these verses every other. I'll begin at 14. I'll do the evens, and then we'll read together the odds until we get down to verse 28, and then we'll read verse 28 together. So the odds together, and then verse 28. The Bible says, beginning in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reaped where I sowed not, and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Together, verse 28, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. The title of the message this morning is Parenting. 101, Parenting 101, another title, a subtitle could be Principles for Parenting. We're going to look at this passage and make some introductory thoughts and then look at some parenting principles. Let's pray. God, this morning I ask that you empty me of me. Lord, would you speak through me? And God, as we look at just the very basics, beginning points of parenting, Lord, where there is a home that maybe isn't practicing these these things quite like they should. Lord, would you make that evident and clear? Lord, our children are precious treasures. What a great privilege and responsibility we have in raising them. And Lord, others here are not parents anymore with children at home, but rather grandparents. Lord, I pray they would apply these principles. And then, Lord, there are others here who are yet to become parents. Lord, may they sit up and listen and take note and apply these things to their hearts as they begin to prepare for the moment God gives them a child. Then, Lord, there are others here who maybe never will have children, 
But, Lord, they need to know the right ways so they can influence those in their lives. So I pray everybody would leave today with something practical for their hearts and their home. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This parable is about a man who had quite a bit of wealth, and he gave three different men three different levels of money depending on their own abilities. The, the most talented of the three, he gave five. The five talents uh, to the second most talented, he gave two. And to the least of the talented, he gave one. He told them, he said, go and make money with my money. Don't you like it when you make money with your money? Um, investing uh, with the right person versus the wrong person. And these three men went out, and the man who had five doubled it. The man who had two doubled it. The man that had one, he just buried it in the ground and waited for the servant to re- or this master to return and said, I didn't really do anything with it. I was nervous and afraid uh, that I would blow the money or somehow hurt your money and that it would be even worse. And so the man was neglectful to grow uh, the money and to make money off of the money, and so he called him a wicked servant. Now, many applications from this parable can be made, but in terms of parenting, uh, we talked about this last week, both in the morning and the evening, but when God gives us children, those children are property of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are the stewards of those children. They belong to Him, not us, and it's our job to raise them up so that we can give them back to Him the way that Hannah gave Samuel back uh, to the Lord. And so uh, when God comes to call in one day, Dad uh, and Mom, you're going to stand in front of God and you're going to give an account for the way that you raised your children. Now, let me be clear here. If you raise your children the right way and they turn and rebel and run, you're not going to be held accountable for those actions. But you will be held re- accountable for your own parenting actions. There is not another thought when it comes to being a parent that, that, that strikes fear toward God in my heart more than that. There's going to be a day of reckoning for me as a man and individual. For me as a parent, or rather for me as a pastor, uh, how I shepherded the flock of God. That, is, that looms large in my heart. That is an intimidating thought. But yet above that, there's this idea that I'm going to be judged by God. I'm going to stand before God as a husband, how I shepherded and led my wife, how I loved my wife, how I served my wife, how I honored my wife. But then there's this even greater feeling, greater responsibility that these little eyeballs that call me dad, God's going to ask me, What kind of a job I did one day raising them? Did I instill in them my motives and my thought processes and my life opinion and my wisdom? Or did I rather instill in them God's version of those same things? I don't want to be that wicked and slothful servant who looks at God one day and says, Well, you gave me a child and I didn't really do much with it. But here, he's yours to have back. I want to be like the servant that multiplied and grew the great treasure that was given to him. 600 teenagers sometime back that were found in New England prisons gave these startling facts as to why they were there. 
Six out of ten had fathers who drank to excess. Many had mothers in the same condition. Three out of four were permitted by parents to come and go as they pleased with no parental oversight. Seven out of ten had homes where no group or family activities were ever enjoyed. As for all of them, all of them, no family altar, no Sunday school attendance, no family altar. What is family altar? That's where you take the Bible and you teach it to your kids. Is that going on in your home? Boy, in 2018, with all the technology at our fingertips, there are so many resources to teach the kids the Bible. To those of you that have children at home, let me ask you a question. How many of you can get YouTube up on your TV? If, that, if you know how to do that, would you raise your hand? Did you know that there are Bible stories galore on YouTube? Hey, quit pumping SpongeBob SquarePants in their eyes and start showing them the Bible. Teach them the Bible. There are, uh, there are apps that can be downloaded on the phone that will better teach your children the Bible. Look, uh, family altar doesn't have to be you sitting down and reading out of the book of Ezekiel for 45 minutes and boring your children to tears. Well, I'm giving them the Bible. You're also making them hate the Bible. Work at it. Do you want to come to a church where the pastor just reads out of the book of Ezekiel for 45 minutes? And then closes up and say, the reading of the word of the Lord. Nobody wants that. Now, God's word doesn't return void. But you expect me to study it, digest it, understand it, and give it to you in a way that's practical. Are you working at that with your kids? We live in a day and time where people have children with little to no thought on how to raise them. Little to no thought on how to raise them. Well, we're pregnant. All right. Yes, we get to bring a baby in the world. And you have not discussed for more than 20 minutes with that uh, father or mother of that child how it is that you're going to go about raising them. There's no parental agreement. There's no discussion or articulation, uh, articulating of a thought on how you're going to discipline them and what the life's goals to them are. It's just, guess what? Uh, We were loving each other and we have a baby now. And hey, this is awesome. But then you come to find out that if you don't discuss these things, oh boy, The battles that go on between a mom and a dad because they have not properly discussed these things. They did not plan to have children. The Bible teaches us that we are to have a long-term plan for our children. A long-term plan for our children. Psalm 127.4 says, As arrows are in the hands of a mighty warrior, so are children of the youth. What does a warrior do with an arrow? He sets it in the bow, and he draws back the string. It's a compound bow. He pulls that sucker back, and he gets past that point of of restraint or restriction. He pulls that thing back. He judges the wind. He judges the environment. He looks, or she looks, at where uh, that person is aiming and, and, and considers all of the factors. And when the arrow is released, it is on its way to a specific 
target. Now, uh, do you know, mom and dad, do you know what the long-term goals are for your children? And some of you can quickly think of a few. When was the last time you really gave that any thought before that question? Are the decisions you're making, the little decisions you're making each day, setting you up to succeed long-term in accomplishing that goal? Many parents get to a place where their children are 18, 19, 20, 25, 30 years old, and their children are floundering through life and have no idea on how to live it. And the truth is that you look back at their childhood years and there was no parenting with a long-term goal in mind. Let me pivot on that thought and share another thought with you. Many struggling marriages will have children with the anticipation that those children will somehow make their marriages better. Everyone here with a mom and dad, everyone here with a child is shaking their hair going, no, that is not how that works. If you're here today and you don't have babies and you're having a tough time in your marriage, get your marriage right before you have babies. Make sure you know how to get along with each other. Having a baby does not fix a broken marriage. It complicates it greatly. Just because a couple has a marriage license so that they can biblically have children, that does not mean they are ready to do so. It does not mean they're ready to do so. It takes a lot of praying and preparing and getting your hearts in sync and in order with each other before you have those babies. This morning, I propose that parents and future parents ought to have some principles in place about how they're going to raise and rear their children for the glory and the honor of the Lord. We're going to look at three principles about how to raise children that have a heart for the Lord. And this is very, very basic, basic uh, uh, basic, basic thoughts. Before I begin to share them, I just want to say this. If you're here today and your children are raised and grown and maybe they're not, they haven't lived up the expectations uh, that you have for them, let me just say this sermon is not meant to put you on a guilt trip. That's not the purpose of this. I'm not here to make anyone feel terrible or make you look backwards and say, well, if I had, if I had lived by these principles years ago, uh, maybe things would be different. Listen, if that's your reality, then my friend, yeah, you just have to uh, look at the current situation you're in and ask yourself what you can do better. And when God sends you grandbabies, uh, begin to take these principles and put those in place. Number one, notice the principle of charity, a principle of charity. This is going to be a topical sermon of sorts. And so um, uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 8. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, talk about charity for a minute. And as I laid out recently in a service that I did, uh, charity and love are not quite the same thing. Charity is more complex than love. Charity is love on someone that is doing without. Or another way of putting it, it is compassion on the pity or compassion and pity on the poor. That could be financial uh, poorness. That could be a social poorness. That could be an emotional poorness, uh, or it could be all of them or any combination of them uh, or some other type of, uh, of, a, of a poor person. And uh, that is what charity is. It is showing compassion on those that are down and hurt, uh, whether that down and hurt is a financial hurt or uh, a emotional, physical, uh, uh, medical hurt. It is charity. It is love in action. Love in action. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. It says, charity never Faileth. Now, think of this in terms of parenting. Charity 
never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, the speaking in tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But charity never faileth. Before there was the law, the law given to us in the Bible, there was charity. Before there was sin, there was charity. Once Jesus comes back and takes those who are saved to heaven and punishes sin and wickedness forever, and all we're left with uh, in front of us is uh, the saved saints glorifying God forever, there will still be charity. Charity, love, in action is forever. It is forever. And it never fails. It never fails. If you're a parent here today, let me tell you, you have an obligation from God, a responsibility from God to love those children. Love those children. Look down at verse 9. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, from a parental standpoint, I'm not going to dissect this passage from a theological standpoint. I'm going to do it from a very practical standpoint this morning. Uh, Charity never faileth, and then right on the heels of that, it talks about the maturity of a child into the adult years. What brings a child through the immaturities of childhood into adulthood where they put childish things behind them? A mom and a dad who are equipped and know how to love their children. Know how to love their children. Now, Loving your children does not mean that you just give them everything they want. Loving your child does not mean that you spoil them rotten all the time. Loving your children means that you know how to say yes and no. Loving your children means that you know how to uh, keep things from them that maybe they want that you know are bad for them. Loving your children means that you're not just their friend, but you're also their disciplinarian when it's necessary. It's raising that child in a way where they know that uh, uh, God loves me and I'm going to uh, 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 love my children the same way that God loves me. How many of you here have ever experienced the chastening, the punishing hand? of the Lord. Can I see your hand? If God's ever punished you in some way, uh, I can say I've been punished by God many, many, many times. uh, But you know what? I've never for a second stopped and said, well, maybe God doesn't love me. No, no. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, even as a father, the son in whom he correcteth. And so this is the principle of charity. Unfortunately, today uh, we live in a day and age where moms and dads neglect their children. Uh, uh, Dad is not happy with the structure of the home. Uh, He's not he's not happy uh, with how hostile the home environment is. So he takes every overtime hour that he can and he is not there to love the kids. Mom is not properly loving the kids. And unfortunately, today, uh, today's day and time, moms are more caught up in social media and looking at their phone than paying attention and loving their kids. When I go to a park with my kids, I look at some of these moms and dads. And the kids are like, hey, mom, watch me on the slide. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I saw it, uh-huh. That kid doesn't feel loved. Moms and dads are more concerned with their own well-being and their own fun than they are loving their children. By the way, this principle of charity, let me say this, that your children need to see the two of you loving each other. 
you're here today and you're married. I know we have some single parents in the crowd. This isn't as much aimed for you. But if you're here today and you're married and you're raising kids, let me say that the best way to show your children love is to love each other. Love each other. They need to see mom and dad embrace. Now, be proper. They see you embrace. There's nothing wrong with them seeing the two of you kiss. Now, again, a peck on the lips is probably sufficient. They need to see the two of you kiss. Now, they might go, ew, that's gross, like my kids do. But it provides for them love, security. Remember growing up, I'd go to school and I'd hear kids saying, yeah, my mom and dad are getting separated or getting a divorce. And I remember thinking to myself, that will never happen to me. My, kid, my mom and dad will never get a divorce. You know, my mom and dad have had tough times in their marriage, like everybody's marriage has in time. And I can even remember some times where my mom and dad weren't real happy with each other. But they always found a way to embrace There was that sense of security that nothing could ever separate the two of them. Principle of charity. Is your home defined by love or is your home defined by strife? Number two, notice principle of correction. The principle of correction. The Duke of Wellington once said this. He said, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way parents obey their children. While it might be funny, it's true. Parents obey their children. Um, It is fun to take my daughter out for ice cream. It is fun to take my son to a baseball game. It is not fun to correct them. That is not fun. An enjoyable experience. Now, I need to take my children out and do things with them to be a good dad. But if that's all I ever did, and I wasn't willing to correct them, I would raise a bunch of spoiled, rotten brats. You've got to be willing to correct your kids. Can I tell you how most parents correct their kids? Hey, hey, hey Johnny. Hey, hey, turn the TV off couple of minutes later. Johnny, I, I said turn the TV off. A couple of minutes later. Johnny, I'm not going to tell you again. Turn that TV off now. A few minutes later. Johnny, if you don't turn that TV off, I'm going to come in there. And now they're turning the TV off because they know that you have reached the spot where you're actually going to do something about it. What if you said, Johnny, turn the TV off. And while you're calm, cool, and collected, if Johnny didn't turn the TV off the very first time, Johnny got in trouble. And every time Johnny didn't turn the TV off, Johnny got in trouble. And guess what? The very first time you say, Johnny, turn the TV off, Johnny turns the TV off. Because there is a principle of correction in place. Letter A, let me give you a couple subpoints here. A purpose in punishment. A purpose in punishment. Many parents, many, many parents give little to no thought at all on why it is they punish their children. We punish our children because we're frustrated with them, not because we have a long-term goal in mind. 
Sometime back, I put on the screen a picture of a tree that had been shaped and molded into, into various forms of art. How many of you remember seeing that? Were you here for that? Your children, when they're little, they're moldable. They're moldable. You can take a tree when it's uh, uh, just coming out of, the, uh, out of the ground, and you begin to form it and shape it, and you can have it do all kinds of crazy things. You can turn it into all kinds of forms of art. But once it's become a solid uh, uh, stump and it's begin to get some form to it, and it's not malleable and moldable, what it is is what it is. When your children are little, they're malleable, they're moldable. You can, get, you can begin to shape their character, but you've got to be willing to punish them. You've got to have a purpose in punishing them. A purpose in punishing them. If we do not have a reason in punishing our children, then what happens is we allow our emotions to dictate whether or not we punish them. This is never a good thing. Never a good thing. One thing is for sure And that as a human being, my emotions are all over the map. Some days I wake up, and I'm a pretty even-tempered guy, but even being a pretty even-tempered guy, sometimes I wake up and I'm happy-go-lucky, everything's great, I'm smile, I'm having fun, and other days I'm I'm a little bit more serious and somber and I'm a little less happy-go-lucky. I can't punish my children based on the mood I'm in that day. I've got, to be, uh, I've got to punish my children based on what the long-term purpose is. Now, for those of you here that say, well, but I, I just want to be my child's friend. Let me read a verse for you. Proverbs twenty-nine seventeen: Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. He shall give delight unto thy soul. I, I went back to my parents well into my adult years, and I said to my mom and dad, I said, thank you for punishing me. At the time, I didn't enjoy it. At the time, I didn't appreciate it. But I look at the man that I've become today, and I am what I am by the grace of God and parents who who punished me according to the grace of God. I, I'm, I am nothing outside of God's grace. Nothing. John 15 says, Without me ye can do nothing. Anything that's good in me is the Lord Jesus Christ doing it through me. But I am what I am today because I have a, had a mom and dad who had a purpose in correcting me. Mom and dad, are you punishing out of emotion? Are you punishing so that your kids will stop getting on your nerves? Or are you punishing with their long-term life, their long-term behavior, that long-term character in mind? Let her be, notice, a plan to punish. A plan to punish. In the 1970s, our world was bombarded by the false teachings of Dr. Spock. In his book, Raising Children in a Difficult Time and... Another book, Spock on Parenting, he taught that it is psychologically damaging for a parent to spank his child. His book teaches that there are better methods than spanking. Now, I know men in the ministry who have bought in to Spock's teaching. I've worked on staff with guys who would not spank their children. Because they said, well, that just doesn't work in our home. And to that I say, 
Is the Bible true or not? I want you to contrast this philosophy of using items other than spanking. I want you to contrast that philosophy with what the Bible says. If some of this is new to you, let me encourage you to write these references down. The ones up there on the screen. Go back and read them later. By the way, I'm only giving you two. There are several others in the Bible that say the same thing. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. But the rod of correction, that sounds like a paddle to me, shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 23.13 and if, if this is, uh, if you're a skeptic of what I'm saying, let me just encourage you to open the Bible and see it with your own two eyes. I'm not making up Bible verses. This is right out of God's word. Uh, with that, withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Now, before you go uh, uh, thinking I'm some sort of extremist or the Bible is some sort of extremist, let me explain to you the word beatest comes from the Hebrew word Talk, T-A-K, talk, and what it means is to strike, to strike. If, uh, uh, so you can read that verse again. Uh, For if thou strikest him with the rod, he shall not die. He shall not die. I've got several things I want to say here uh, before we move on uh, to the third and final point. The first thing I want to say is that when I was a young man uh, right out of Bible college, I was working in our uh, first church ministry there at Rosedale Baptist in Baltimore, and there was a gentleman who was riding on a, a, a bus route there in the area, and he uh, was looking for a job. He'd gone through some disabilities and was recovering, looking for a job, so he was without a car, and he needed some help, so I went and picked him up, and I was driving around, and I said, do you have any education? I was trying to help him get a job, and he said, well, actually, I have graduated with a degree in child psychology, and I said, oh, okay. I said, well, let me ask you a question. What do you think about spanking children? He said, oh, it's bad. It will damage that little child for the rest of his life. And I sat there and I thought, hmm. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I had them right where I wanted them. I said, uh, what do you think it does? I was setting them up. What do you think it does to a relationship between that child and his parents? He said, it will have long-term damaging effects between that child and his parents. It will hinder that relationship long-term. And I said, really? That is fascinating. I said, can I tell you something? The last time I got a spanking, and this is the truth, the last time I got a spanking, I was 17 years old. Now, those of you that know me, you know I'm not a pushover. I don't walk with a limp wrist. I'm a manly man, and I was a manly teenage boy. Um, My dad drew tears from me at 17. And I deserved it. I deserved it. Now, look, I, we can talk another time, maybe parenting 102 tonight or 201 in my office, okay? Uh, we can talk about how to punish teenagers. Spanky's not always the best method when they get to that age, all right? This is meant especially when they're little. But let me just say, I told that guy, I said, um, I got spanked as young as a couple, I, I don't know, uh, 
15, 16 months old. I, I don't know how old I was when I got the first one. And I got spanked last when I was 17. You know what? I love my father. I've got a great relationship with him. In fact, uh, I'll just share this with you all. I'm going on a trip with my dad to the south at the end of May for a few days. And just him and I, just him and I, we're going to go out and spend some father-son time together at a camp uh, where God called me to preach. It's their 40th anniversary of that camp. And we're going to go down and surprise the man running the camp. And uh, God called me to preach to that camp. And I, I'm really looking forward to going back to the camp, but I'm really looking forward to spending time uh, with my father. Spanking did not damage me. Spanking taught me that it hurts more to do wrong than it feels good to do wrong. And I'm thankful to God that I had a father who was willing to take a paddle and apply it to my backside. And the old joke is that the Board of Education got applied to the seat of learning. Amen? And I'm so glad that it did. Now, let me uh, say some things about uh, paddling here. There have been a lot of studies done and if you go online and you uh, read up about uh, the effects, uh, whether or not spanking works, it, the, 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 the data is going to come back in the negative against it. it, it they're going to claim it doesn't work. And I'm going to tell you, they have all these case studies and things they've done. I've read a lot of it and I've looked at it. But I'm going to tell you the one element on why it doesn't work is that if you're, gonna, if you're going to spank your child out of frustration, then it's always going to fail. Long term, it's going to fail. Because you are sinning. In the act of correcting their sin, it is a sin for you to be angry. And it is especially a sin for you to punish out of anger. Especially a sin. In fact, I'll take it a step further. If you punish your children out of anger, that is abuse. Abuse. Don't you spank your child in anger. I'm going to share two stories from our home here, and then I'm going to give you some practical points for spanking. Uh, the first story I'll share is about Matthew. Uh, everyone looks at Matthew, and I had several people even today pay me a compliment about him. And he, he has a heart for the Lord, and it, it is a joy to be his father. It really is. He's a sweet young boy, far from perfect. And I'm thankful that you all give him grace to just, just be a human being here, and you don't hold him up on a, on a ridiculous level. But, but Matthew, Matthew didn't always act so compliant. When Matthew was uh, uh, two years old, uh, we had him in a, uh, in a high chair, and we were giving him food to eat. This is food that he likes, okay? This isn't, we weren't forcing something down his throat he didn't like. If I remember right, it was like pieces of meat or something. I, I can't remember. Maybe it was mashed potatoes, but he, whatever it was he liked then, he still likes today. We, we were, so Angel's putting it in his mouth, and he was spitting it on the floor. And he understood not to do that. And I looked at him and said, if you do that again, you're going to get a spanking. And so, put another bite in his mouth. He spit it on the floor and looked at me. As if to say, okay. I pulled him out of his high chair. He had a diaper on. Whack, 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 whack. He's crying because, yes, it stung his backside, but because now he's been challenged. Put him back in the high chair. I said to his mom, I said, while he's screaming with his mouth wide open, put another bite in there. <laughs> in goes another bite, use the teeth, scrape it off. He screams for about 20, 30 seconds. He get, gathers himself, spits it on the floor again. Back out of the high chair. Whack, 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 whack. Back down. That process continued for eight spankings. By the time I administrated the eighth spanking, 
Angela and I both were weeping. We were crying. I wasn't spanking him out of anger. I was spanking him out of necessity. After the eighth spanking, Angela put another bite in his mouth, although she may, may have been me at that point. I don't know if she still had the heart to do it. But I put it in his mouth, and he swallowed it. And he ate the rest of the bowl. That day, we broke his will. You know, he doesn't remember that. He doesn't even remember that happening. But since that day, Matthew has behaved. Matthew has obeyed. Not perfect. He's gotten in trouble for not obeying. But I would say 90 to 95% of the time, when we tell him to do something, he does it. It is to the place where if he's running around after church, all i got to do is make eye contact with him and do this right here. And he won't run in church for three more weeks. Why? Because I was willing... Angela and I both were willing to fight those battles with him. By the way, with April, it wasn't a, a head-to-head moment. We didn't have that head-to-head moment with April. It was a constant whittling away, a down of the will. Seven, eight, nine, ten times a day, a whack on the backside when she was small, saying, you will comply, you will listen. And look, we had to deal with parents who didn't agree with it. We had to deal with a fallout in relationship from that. But we stayed the course. Some days we'd go to bed and we'd lay our head on the pillow and we'd say, is it working? Is it worth it? I remember uh, at one point my dad said, are you going to go pastor? And I said, I can't go pastor right now. My my daughter does not listen. She does not obey. And But there was a day she woke up and all of a sudden she just started obeying. And all those days of being in the trenches of fighting that battle, boy, they began to pay off. Today I'm telling you, mom and dad, that God has given you a way uh, to correct your children. And if I trust the Bible for my salvation, then I should trust the Bible on how to chastise my children. Now, very quickly here, let me give you the process of paddling, the process of paddling. If you have children at home or you have grandchildren and you want to give this to your children somewhere along the way, let me tell you how we do it in our home. We have found this to be very, very, very effective. I'm going to give you several thoughts here, kind of a list to take down. So jot these down. First, post a list of rules in your home. Post a list of rules in your home. Um, our, our list is kind of understood at this point, but I can tell you that there aren't really that many on it. The way our children will, will get themselves in trouble, get themselves a paddling, the biggest one is disobedience. Let me give you a scenario here. If, you're, if my child is playing with a ball in the hallway and knocks an expensive vase off and breaks it, but we did not tell him that he wasn't allowed to play with the ball there, then we might be disappointed the vase is broken, but he is not going to get in trouble. We didn't tell him not to play with the ball there. Now, if we told him not to play with the ball there and the vase gets broken, we're not paddling him over the vase getting broken. We're paddling him because he didn't obey. You understand the distinction there? So, disobedience. If you make it all about disobedience, boy, that's a big one. A second one here is lying. Lying. On, on our list at home, lying. And the third one is a bad attitude. And that bad attitude can come out in a, very, a, a variety of ways. Uh, a tone, body language, uh, uh, as well as words. But those are the big three at our house that will get you in trouble. By the way, a little uh, trick for you here. Uh, if you want to have multiple paddles in your home, you have a, a normal size one and you have one that's a little bit bigger and you put lying paddle on the bigger one. By the way, it's going to sting just as bad with both. You're not paddling them any harder, but the bigger one looks intimidating. And you're teaching them, you don't lie. 
it's a big deal to lie. So post a list of rules. Two, explain to your children that every time they break the rules, they're going to get a spanking. Every time. Three, once a rule is broken, send them to their room. Not to play on their Xbox. To sit on their bed and do nothing but think. Send them to their room. Do it in a way that's calm and collected. Four, four, take a few minutes to gather your emotions. Take a few minutes to gather your emotions. Don't you walk in there upset. There are times where my children have pushed my buttons, and I've been enraged that fast, that fast. And, and, And that's a sin. That's a sin for me to heat up that fast. But it's a greater sin for me to go in and punish with that in mind. So you're going to take a few minutes to cool off. Once you know that you have full control of your emotional state, number five, go to your room, get down on your knees and pray. Get down on your knees and pray. Number six. Number six. Have the child admit which rule was broken. It isn't I broke the vase. It's I disobeyed. I lied, I stole, I had a bad attitude, whatever the rule that was broken. Once they have admitted it, explain to them, so number seven, explain to them from the Bible why it's wrong. Explain to them from the Bible why it's wrong. It's not just wrong as you said it's wrong. It's wrong as God said it's wrong. That's huge. That's huge. One day, you're not going to be there to guard them, guard their heart any longer, uh, but God will always be overseeing them. So if they're doing what's right and wrong because God says so, not because of what mom and dad says so, they'll understand that even when you're not there looking over their shoulder, that matters. Number eight, administrate the spanking. Administrate the spanking. It should be done uh, cold, and it should be done calculated. Cold and calculated. By the way, you're not looking to leave a mark on the child. Don't leave a mark on the child. You want it to sting, but you don't want to leave a mark on them. You don't want to abuse them. Okay? Uh, So, administrate the spanking. Number nine, hug and tell them you love them. Hug and tell them you love them. Number ten, end with a word of prayer. You're You're going to pray, and you're going to have them pray. They're going to pray and tell God they're sorry for what they did. Look, if you get to a place where you're spanking, and this is huge, please don't miss this. You get to a place where you're paddling a child and there is no repentant spirit out of that child, then you've got to continue to repeat that process until there is a repentant spirit. I I paddled Matthew eight times before I got that uh, repentant spirit. You've got to get that out of the child. Otherwise, you've just wasted your time and energy. The last thing I do after I paddle a child, one of my children, is I look at them and I say, did you tell God you were sorry? And they say, I did. It's usually, yes. And I say, well, then God has forgiven you. And if God has forgiven you, then I have forgiven you. We're not going to talk about this. We're not going to let it loom large overhead. Usually, I'll go out of the room and I have an ice cream with them. Look, I love ice cream, okay? So, uh, I have an ice cream with them. I'll take them to the park. The first time I did that, Angela looked at me and said, They're in trouble. What do you have an ice cream with them for? 
And I said, no, they're not in trouble anymore. It's been dealt with. It's been forgiven. That relationship is healed. That relationship is healed. Have a plan to punish. Don't wait until you're frustrated. Do it right away. Number three, and lastly, I hasten. Notice, principle of consistency. A principle of consistency. Psalm chapter 12, verse 1 says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, the faithful fail from among the children of the Lord. Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. God blesses consistent parents. God blesses consistent parents. Uh, let me give you an A to be here quickly. We must be consistent with letter A, our schedule or your schedule. We must, you must be consistent with your schedule. It's a good idea to go to bed and get up at the same time every day. You know what kids find in that? They find consistency. They see that, hey, we get up at the same time, we go to bed at the same time. Dad gets up, mom gets up at the same time, goes to bed about the same time. Uh, Mom and dad follow a scheduled structure. We go to church at the same time every week. We have these activities we do at the same time every week. And obviously, according to its importance, you want to be consistent with that. You Make your schedule your boss. Make your schedule. Schedule your boss, letter B, notice your system of discipline. Your system of discipline. Your system of discipline. I want you to imagine that you come home from work, Dad, and you're in a great mood. I mean, you're just, you got a raise at work, and, and uh, you know, uh, your boss bought you lunch at a five-star restaurant and, and let you go play golf all afternoon or Ernie go hunting all afternoon, right? And uh, you come home and you are just... You are wound up. You're so happy. And you sit down at the dinner table, and uh, you're having a good day, and, and your child's on the other end of the table, and you say to your child, hey, throw me a dinner roll. That child picks up that dinner roll and throws it at you. You catch that thing. Your wife's looking at you like, what is going on here? Where are the manners at the table? But the next day you come home, and you got fired. That's a quick turnaround, right? Now you're in a grumpy mood. You sit down at the table and you say, can I have a dinner roll? That child gets a smirk in the corner of his mouth. He picks up that dinner roll. You're not looking. He throws it and hits you right upside the head. (laughs) Ah, you go to your room. You You ought to know better. You ought to have some manners about you. You see the lack of consistency there? How we handle our children based on what mood we're in instead of based on the principle of consistency. Think about, and I finish with this, think about the prodigal son out of the book of Luke. That child said, I want to leave home, give me my portion of the inheritance, he leaves. He spends it all, he wastes it, the Bible says, on riotous living, the party life. He gets down to the end and he, uh, famine hits the land. He loses his friends. He loses his house. He loses his, his, his girlfriends. And he goes and he gets a job working as a pig farmer. Working as a pig farmer. And he sits there and he wants to eat the pig food. And uh, uh, he's told, you're not even allowed to eat that. And he, he thinks to himself, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? My, my father's servants are living better than this. Do you know why he knew his father was still living in the same house? 
with servants, with wealth, doing well, because his entire life being raised, dad was consistent. Dad was consistent. Dad worked uh, the same job as long as he could, and he provided the same way, and he kept the same schedule, and he was there day in and day out, and he knew he could get up and go home, and dad would be there. There might be a day where your children run from the Lord and run from the way that you've taught them, but if you have raised them in its home that is governed with a system of discipline that is consistent, there will come a day where they come running back home to you and the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Psalm 127.4, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of their youth. These youngsters that God has given us, they're both a privilege, but a tremendous responsibility that we should raise them up in the way that they should go. My challenge is simple this morning. Expose your children to biblical charity and biblical correction. And then make sure that you are consistent with your application of loving them and correcting them. And may we all give back to God children that are mature enough in their adult minds to love God and want His will for their lives and want nothing else. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with the teaching and preaching of the Bible this morning. Help us to be people that are consistent. Lord, I think one of the greatest ways we fail our children is the erratic schedules that we keep. Lord, it shows a lack of discipline in our lives. How are we going to teach our children discipline? We're not disciplined ourselves. May we commit this morning to be parents, grandparents, future parents, mentors even of children in a classroom setting while we have some teachers here. Lord, however we touch the lives of children, may we show them charity. May we show them correction that honors you. May we do the Christian home the Bible way. Lord, I have no doubt that one day we'll have children that love you with their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Especially if they can see that in us. In Jesus' name. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save me. I'm going to heaven not because of me, but because of him. I put my faith in Jesus. Here's my hand in testimony of that. Heaven is my home. Jesus is my Savior. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't know that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I'm just not quite sure. Would you pray for me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you slip up your hand and you say, I'm just not sure. Is there one? How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, something that was said in the message today, something from God's Word stuck me in my heart. I know there's some changes and some tweaks that need to be made in our home. Would you pray for us? Would you pray for me as I seek to be a better parent? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Pastor, please pray for me. Lord, I do ask that you'd encourage us as we make decisions for you during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed.
the altar's open. How about it today? Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, future mom and dad, mentor of a child. Are you doing this God's way?